0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church This teaching is from the series Jesus the King who came to die a study of the Gospel of Mark This dynamic fast-paced book gives the story of Jesus the Messiah God's Son the King who came to suffer and die to save his people We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Uh, those who were here last week know that last week we looked at the story of the woman with the bleeding, which is in the middle of this. I'm just going to read the whole passage, and then we'll be talking about uh, faith in the Lord over death as we look at Jesus uh, and the story of Him raising Jairus' daughter. So hear now the Word of God. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith... Has healed you. Go and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. "Joa estudio espanol para... Uno uh, años. Uh, Pero yo hablo un poco español. Yo pienso en inglés. So I just butchered, and I am sure Danny and Nelson and some of the others will correct me later, uh, some Spanish. I've been studying Spanish. Yesterday was exactly one year that we've been studying Spanish. And we're laboring and working through, and I'm picking up and doing it. But as I said at the end, what language do I think in? English. I can read Greek. I can read Hebrew. I'm learning to speak a little Spanish. But I think, and if I want to put it this way, I feel in English. And this is what uh, Bible translators and missionaries refer to as the heart language. We've supported Bible translation for many years, and some of the people that the Bible is being translated for, they speak a second or third language where the Bible already exists, but they're still trying to get it in the people's original heart language. And that's because when something is really important to us, when it really impacts us, we think and feel and remember in that heart language. Now, I bring this up because you probably noticed as I was reading that text, in the middle of it, suddenly, instead of being in English, there were these two words that we don't understand, talitha kum, which are actually Aramaic. And that's because, not, it's in there all the time. I think Mark's gospel's got four times, I think, that there's an Aramaic phrase mentioned. And it's because as Peter is recounting these stories to Mark, there are certain moments, I think, that it's his heart language that comes out. And this is one of the moments where as Peter is reminiscing, he doesn't want to put it in Greek. He remembers what Jesus said exactly in Aramaic because it was his heart language it's, it's the language he spoke. And so Peter doesn't want to speak in what's a, a second or third language to him, which is Greek. He, he goes back and he remembers when Jesus took this young girl's hand and set, spoke to her in Aramaic. And she heard it in her own heart language and she arose from the dead. So I point this out because... This shows how important this moment is. There's a lot of things that we're studying in the gospel, but this is one that stands out to Peter so that he reverts back to his heart language as he tells the story. So what's going on that day, and what does it mean for us? What do we learn from it? So let's dig into the text. Now, I mentioned last week some of this at the beginning. In this story, there's this man named Jairus, and we're told that he's a synagogue ruler. And synagogue rulers are important in the culture uh, of Israel. Okay, synagogue rulers, they're, they're not uh, official, they're not the teachers of the law, they're not priests, they don't have any, uh, an official clerical position as we would call it. But they're highly important and influential and respected people. They oversee the synagogue. They set everything up. They, they make sure that the physical grounds and all taken care of. But they also are the ones who are kind of keeping the scrolls, having everything ready, inviting who's going to be preaching the word. It was a position of great importance, a position that brought great respect and even power. It also means that Jairus, of course, is there at the synagogue and he's hearing the word of God and it's, it's built into his faith. But Jairus has now come to this moment where he's facing a crisis. And the crisis is that his little girl, as he calls her, we learn later that she's 12 years old, his little girl is sick. And she's been sick for so long, and now uh, in Jairus's words, if I want to put it in English, it's basically she's at death's door. She is looking like she may not survive. And Jairus realizes the doctors aren't helping, nobody else can resolve this, and he thinks, But I've heard about Jesus. And he's probably even seen Jesus teach in the synagogue before. And so he has faith. That Jesus can heal her so notice he goes to Jesus and he falls down on his face he doesn't come in you know hey I'm an important person you owe me something no he comes and he falls on his face before Jesus and says I'm in desperate need but I know you can resolve this situation and notice the great faith my little daughter's dying but if you come and put your hands on her she will be healed and she will live Jairus has got faith and he's full of faith and hope at this point. But as I mentioned last week, Mark, and he does this multiple times, he does what it's not a very technical term, but they call he makes a sandwich. He starts a story. He sticks another story in, and then he finishes the first story. And they're to be read together. Whenever he does that, we've seen it a couple times already, and we're going to see it continue in the gospel, he's saying read them together. The, the two stories are related to one another, hand and glove. And this is the story of the woman with the bleeding of 12 years. Now, we looked at that in detail last week, so I won't take the time to do it now. But notice for J. Iris, I want us to view it from J. Iris's position. He's going along, and what's the only thing on his mind? Jesus has got to get to my daughter. He has got to get there. And remember, she's at death's door. Time is of the essence. So the crowd is in the way. I can picture, you know, if you're Jairus, and and, and really put yourself in his place. Have you ever been in a place where you had faith, but then things seem to be interrupting and it becomes a real struggle to hold on. And Iris is kind of going through that. And then suddenly there's this incident with the woman. But what's particularly infuriating is Iris would be glad for the woman to be healed. But what he doesn't want to happen is for them to stop. But who makes them stop? Jesus. Nobody else would have known. But as soon as he realizes power has gone out, he stops. And of course, he turns around. And he's he's asking, you know, who's there? Of course, the disciples are looking, and probably from their perspective, look, it doesn't really matter. We've got this important person, Jairus. Hey, this can promote what you're doing, Jesus. We got this guy. This is a miracle you need to go do. But Jesus is undeterred. He's not going to listen to that. He knows somebody's been healed, and he wants to find out who. And he will not move on, and I can picture that if I'm Iris and I'm there, the longer this goes, and remember, this is the gospel we're marking multiple times in this passage is it's immediately, 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 and then suddenly it's not immediately. Jesus is looking around. Who touched me? The disciples are what do you mean who touched you? There's all these people around you. Everybody's poking around. We need to keep moving, Jesus. No, I know somebody touched me. And he's looking around and he's waiting. Jairus is probably losing his mind. Because as I said last week, Jesus is often working to meet needs we don't even recognize. Jairus knows the need that he sees, that he is concerned with, but Jesus is working to meet a different need that he doesn't realize, and that's both in the woman with the bleeding but he's also working in Jairus in a way that Jairus does not understand and so when that happens Jesus's purposeful work can seem pointless or even counter to what's going on Um, and Jairus is probably thinking look if you believe somebody got healed great but we don't have to stop they're already healed We can keep moving. And in fact, could Jesus have moved on without stopping? Sure he could have. But for the woman, as we saw last week, it was good for him to stop. But you know who else it's good for? Jairus. Because see, Jairus has heard that Jesus can heal, but now he sees it with his own eyes. Because as the woman comes forward and she tells the story, and remember how long does she have the bleeding? 12 years. And how old is Jairus' daughter? 12 years. And so Jesus is making a point of this because what's happening is Jairus' hope and faith are bolstered even more because, look... She's been sick for 12 years the same length of time that my daughter has been alive Jesus healed this and with I mean he didn't even have to touch her she just touched his clothes if you were there in your Jairus that has got to strengthen your faith That has got to strengthen your hope. Uh, It returns as they're beginning to resume the trip. Uh, He's now thinking, okay, so maybe this wasn't pointless. The Lord has really, really worked. He strengthened my faith. And if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you know what that's like. I believe, now I'm struggling, but God does something and it bolsters and strengthens my faith. And that's what Jairus is experiencing. And then while Jesus is speaking to the woman. I mean, just as it's happening, just as Jairus feels faith and hope rising in his heart, the servants show up. And what do they say? Yeah, it's over. It's too late. You didn't get home fast enough. Your daughter has already died. And it's literally while Jesus was still speaking. In the midst of, of the interruption that is strengthening Jairus' faith comes a temptation and a trial and a struggle against that faith. The worst has happened. The daughter has died. And the, so this interruption now appears to be exactly what Jairus had been worried that it was. It is a catastrophe. Because, look, you could have come and you could have laid hands on my daughter but what's the point now? And the servants even say, why bother the teacher anymore? And so unbeknownst to them, probably, it's not their intent, but the servants' words are bolstering the fear of Jairus and thereby undermining his faith. Because what they're saying, and this is pretty interesting because it's actually exactly what happened to Lazarus's tomb. You remember when Jesus showed up there, what did Martha and Mary say? Lord, if you had been here, and remember, why was Jesus not there? Because when he heard about Lazarus, what did he do? He waited. Sound kind of familiar? Like a parallel going on? And they're struggling because they said, if you had been here, no matter how sick Lazarus was, we know that if you put your hands on him, he would have gotten healed, but uh, he's dead. So can even Jesus do anything about that? See, that's what they're struggling with. We're, we're looking back, but if you're standing there, you may say, wow, I mean, I've seen this guy do some amazing things, but dead is dead. So I don't think that he's going to be able to resolve this. But what's interesting is, notice Jesus immediately responds to renew and restore Jairus' faith. We're told, ignoring what they said, and what's really interesting is translators struggle with this particular word, because the, the Greek word there that they've translated as ignoring has two distinct meanings. One is to overhear somebody else having a conversation. So it's not directed at you, but you just happen to hear it. The other meaning is to ignore what someone is saying to you. And here, Jesus is doing both things. He's hearing them whispering to Jairus, hey, listen, your daughter's dead. You don't need to bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus overhears it, but he also ignores it. Because notice what he says immediately. He, uh, he's going to speak to him because, and this is really important, the reason I bring this up, is Jesus is a master at overhearing and ignoring in this whole passage. Because he knows that much of what humans speak is fear-filled folly rather than faith-filled wisdom. So this is not the Last time we're going to see, Jesus is going to hear something and he's going to say, ignore that. Don't pay attention to that. That's fear. That's not faith. That's not what God wants you to be hearing. And so notice here that, that Jesus is ignoring what they said, but notice also Mark now shifts. You remember, I made a big deal of this last week. Does anybody know the name of the woman who was healed? No. Because throughout the whole passage, she's just a woman. And we've been hearing Jairus, Jairus, Jairus. Well, notice now all of a sudden, who is he? He's a synagogue ruler. He's he 's not named now because now he 's in the position the woman had been, what seemed to be his pomp and his circumstance and all of the power he now knows what it 's like for the unnamed outcast woman with the bleeding because even his name seems to be gone when you are there and you are at that moment, and you are j Iris. I had faith, I believed, I set out, I came to you. There was this interruption. I even sensed what you seem to be doing there, but it 's all gone now. I mean she is dead. And so Jairus stands there, everything seems to be gone. And then Jesus speaks to him and says, don't fear, just believe. In essence, what he's telling Jairus is, look, I heard what they said, and I'm ignoring it. And I'm telling you, you hear that voice of fear right now, ignore it. Do not give in to your fear i want you to hear and trust god and the fact is jairus has good reason to believe because he's just heard look jairus could say yeah i understand but i mean look no doctor could come and heal my daughter and raise her from the dead of course jesus could say can you bring the woman back here how many doctors did you see how many of them helped you I just did something that nobody else could do, so I'm telling you, trust me, that I can still do something that you don't even think that I can do. And so again, that seemingly pointless and catastrophic delay is now a means that Jesus is saying, hold on to what you just watched. There's a reason behind going there. And so uh, Jesus is doing this, and very often, I again want to remind us, because... If you walk with Christ for any period of time, you're going to notice this principle, okay? You're Abraham, you receive the promise, you believe, you're justified, and then how long is it before Isaac comes along? A long time. And so you, you come up with an idea, and I'll make an Ishmael rather than Isaac, right? And you go through all this wandering, and then Isaac is finally born, and then you hear a voice one morning telling you what? Sacrifice the son, Okay. Look, this, these are principles we see repeated over and over and over in the Word of God. Th- there are those who want to say, if you just have faith, it's just every day is better than the day before. They've not read the Bible. They're also not being honest with the way life works. Okay, And so the, the divine appointment, the interruption of the woman there, it had appeared pointless and catastrophic, and, and it, it often appears that way to us in the midst of our needs. But afterwards, what we discover is it's actually critical preparation for what lays ahead. We wouldn't be ready for what is coming except for what we thought was pointless in our past. And so Jesus tells him, just believe. Now, They take off. Jairus is like, okay, I'm trusting you, Jesus, because he doesn't dismiss him. He says, we'll we'll keep going. And notice at this point, Jesus dismisses the entire crowd. This is one of the things we've seen over and over again. Jesus doesn't want the crowds around about miracles. Remember, when he heals the leper, what does he tell him? Shh, don't tell anyone. Okay, we, we need to keep this between us because every time. These miracles are happening. The crowds get to be so great. So he says, I'm not having the whole crowd going because there's only one person knows what's going on. That's Jesus. So he dismisses everybody, including most of his disciples. Only Peter, James, and John and Jairus go with him. And they go, but when they get to Jairus' home, there's another test of faith. And this is the fact that the house is full of mourners and the sights and the sounds of death. Everywhere. Before you even get there, you can hear it. And this is because in Jewish culture at the time, you were required to hire people to mourn. You, you, had, you were doing your own mourning, but you had to hire professional mourners. That sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? But that's what they did. There was a rabbi who wrote in the first century, and he had written down the prescription that even the poorest person was required to hire two flute players and one wailing woman. Now, how they came up with this stuff, I just in the messenger, I just report it, um, but that's what they had, and so the the point for J. Iris is these people are a visual and an auditory reminder of the reality. As he's hearing them walking up, what is it reminding him of? Your daughter is dead. And he walks in, and the flute players are going off, and the women are wailing, and they're doing all the stuff, and they probably even come up and surround him. And it's a reminder, your daughter is dead. And then, amazingly enough, Jesus walks up. Picture what this looks like if you're Jairus and the disciples. And he says, why all this commotion and wailing? I can imagine Peter probably thought, oh, Lord. (laughs) Because there's a dead child upstairs. They're doing what they're supposed to be. And then Jesus, seeming so naive, says, she's not dead. She's asleep. Now, what do you think those professional mourners thought? Look here, you wandering rabbi. Maybe you don't understand these things, but this is what we do for a living. We know the difference between sleep and dead. This is what we do every day. She's not asleep, she is dead. And if you remember, again, the situation with Lazarus, what did Jesus tell the disciples? Our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I have to go wake him. And what did the disciples say, being always astute as they are? Oh, it's good news. Look, I'm not a doctor, but if he's sleeping, that means he's gonna get better. At which point Jesus has to say, you guys are so thick. No, he's dead but I'm going to go and raise him from the dead, okay? Same parallel is going on here. So the group, notice what they do, and, and this, is, this is, again, see it from Iris's point. They don't just stare at Jesus. What do they actually do in verse 40? They start laughing at him. They start mocking him. You can't seriously believe this. You can't actually think that you're going to be able to intervene in this situation and do anything they they laugh at jesus because jesus his words and his actions often seem crazy to our upside down fear-filled sin-soaked world do people still laugh at what jesus says Absolutely. See, see, this is where we, it's, it's not too hard to put myself in the place of Jairus. If you're walking around with Jesus, people are sometimes going to look at you like you are out of your mind, okay? And that's because the world is upside down. The, the, the world is full of fear, and when somebody's walking in faith, it seems crazy. The world is soaked and marinated in sin and when one walks in righteousness it seems like you have lost your mind and that's exactly what's going on here but it is a test make no mistake this is a test for Jairus because I believed but then we got delayed but then I believed but then I was told she was dead but then I believed and now I get here and everybody is laughing and saying this is insane and what do you think they're probably expecting Jairus to do send this wacko away. We need, to, we need to get on and do the morning that we need to do. I don't know who this yahoo is you brought here, but Jairus, you need to get rid of this guy. And Jairus has got a choice. Which way am I going to go? Now, what's interesting is it says, and he put them all out, which is Jesus. We would expect Jairus to put them out, Probably his faith is lacking to do this. So Jesus takes charge of the situation and he puts the mourners out because you don't need to be here. You were hired to mourn because of death, but that situation's about to be resolved. And he takes them upstairs and where she is lying, and this is the part where Peter goes back to his heart language. He doesn't want to, Peter doesn't want to say, look, I learned Greek by using Duolingo or something. I got I'm, I'm going to shift back and tell you what it was. The girl was laying there dead. And he walked in, and I love that Jesus reaches down, and he takes her by the hand. See, this is, we, we should pay attention to these things in the Christian faith. When we needed salvation, our God did not drop something out of heaven. He took flesh, and he came down here among us to work redemption and he could have spoken from a distance but he goes and he takes the little girl by the hand and he speaks to her in her own heart language and he says Tal- talitha which means a little girl I say to you get up and you got a picture if you're Peter I bet Peter closed his eyes and he can just picture that moment I mean he took that girl by the hand and he spoke just two little words in Aramaic and her eyes popped open I could not believe my eyes I mean I had seen the storm I had seen him drive out the legion of demons. I had just watched him heal this woman. She said she was healed. I had no idea what he was about to do. And with two little words, he speaks to her and she comes back from the dead. And notice what Mark says here. Again, immediately the girl stood up. And, and he's, he's back to that word that he likes so much. Immediately she stood up and she walked around. And actually there's probably, Mark doesn't record it in Aramaic, but where it says um, that they were completely astonished, he puts it the way Aramaic and Hebrew work, not the way Greek works. In Greek you could say completely astonished. In Aramaic you would say uh, she was astonished with great astonishment. And that's actually how it's written in Greek, but again, I think it's Peter remembering and just saying, you can't imagine what it did to us who were standing there at that moment. We did not see this coming. I mean, this was out of nowhere. And interesting, we won't take much time, but I also love, notice again, Jesus says, you can't tell anybody. I wish a lot of like tell evangelists today, these are some Bible verses that they should put in their Jesus promise book. If, if you claim you did a miracle, tell nobody. Okay, that's what he does. But then I love, hey, y'all need to make sure she got something to eat. This has been quite a day. It's not every day that you die and a guy raises you from the dead. She's probably hungry. Okay. Now, what does this mean to us? How do we apply this? There, there's a lot of things we could look at, but from J. Iris' viewpoint today, I want us to talk about how faith is sustained. And there are several points we see in this passage. Number one, faith humbly looks to Jesus. See, remember in the story, J. Iris is a powerful man. The woman with the bleeding is not. Her name is not known. She has no connections. She's poor. Everything about her is that she's an outcast. He is a man with power and connections. But from the very first part of the story, we see that he has been humbled by his circumstances. He cannot save his daughter. And he comes and he falls on his face in front of Jesus. See, we might have expected him and his pride to sneak up behind Jesus and try and get something. But he doesn't do that he comes and publicly falls on his face in front of Jesus and says, I'm not interested in what this looks like. I am on my face before you because I have a need. I cannot solve my need, only you can solve my need. And I don't care if I look like the the most crazy beggar in the world, the poorest man in the world, the man with no connections. I don't care if everybody's going to laugh at me next week in synagogue. I'm on my face in front of you. I need help. That's the beginning of what faith looks like. And it's important for us to remember this because humility causes faith to thrive while pride causes it to wither. Pride takes root in your heart or mind. Faith starts to die. Because, see, if I'm proud and I'm the center of the universe, then do I really need faith in God? No. No. Faith is required when I realize, yeah, I got nothing. I've looked in the toolbox, and it is empty. There's nothing here. That's when faith can thrive and live. But friends, this is tough for us, because from the very garden, okay, Adam and Eve needed to have faith in a word from God. You can eat from any tree in the garden. Don't eat from that one. And then what they hear is, if you eat from this one, you'll be like God. You're already like God. You're already the image of God. You can't get anything more. But see, that's what pride does. Pride does that, and faith dies. So that's the first thing. Faith humbly looks to Jesus. Secondly, faith rejects fear as it looks to Jesus. Notice, Jesus tells Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. It's not, he doesn't just say, just believe. If you're going to believe, what do you have to do? Reject fear. See, you, you've, you're embracing fear right now, Jairus. You've got to let fear go so you can turn around and embrace faith and so you can embrace me. And it's not even just that he does it here. We can actually go back to the storm. Remember, we're going through a series of four miracles here. And in the very first one in the storm, do you remember what he told the disciples? Why were you so afraid? Don't you have faith yet? See, in both stories, at the beginning and at the end, Jesus is contrasting fear and faith because fear is the antithesis of faith. Fear looks to circumstances rather than the power and the goodness of Jesus. And disciples have to daily choose to reject fear and trust in Christ. You cannot have faith in Jesus, and hold on to fear. They simply don't go together. Fear sucks all the oxygen out of the room for faith. They are complete antithesis to one another. And brothers and sisters, I I want to remind you that we live in a world that stokes fear. Fear sells. That's what it does. And so we need to recognize that and say every day I'm going to make a choice. I live by fear or I live by faith, but I cannot do both. They are diametrically opposed. Thirdly, faith endures through delays, difficulties, and even derision. Notice Jesus, you know, his command only believe. This command, and I won't get technical, but the, the Greek word there is a present active imperative, which means you could... You could Turn it into a journey song, keep on believing, okay? It's keep on believing, not just believe momentarily. You've got to keep on believing. You've got to keep hanging on. You've got to keep holding on. Faith is not about what I did before. Notice in the story, Jairus has faith, and then there's an obstacle, and what is he tempted to do? Lose faith. And Jesus is telling him, no, no, no. When the obstacles come, you've got to keep on believing. You've got to keep on holding on. So he had faith that Jesus could heal but suddenly there's delays and there's difficulties and there's even derision. His Faith endures as the crowd and the healing of the woman cause delays. His faith endures through the difficulty even when his daughter dies. He does not give up. They said, leave Jesus behind. He says, no, I'm hanging on. And then the final thing is even when he gets there, and it's not even just that the people are not believing what Jesus can do. They're actually laughing. They're actually mocking. They're actually deriding the very idea that this could happen. And they must have thought that Jairus was Crazy. If you and I are going to walk as disciples, we have to recognize there are going to be delays. And here's the bad news sometimes, who's causing the delay? That's a little bit of bad news for you and me. Sometimes it's Jesus causing the delay because it's in the very delay that He's at work. Sometimes, uh, there's not only delays, there are just difficulties. There's problems. They arise, and they are there, and they are testing our faith. And then sometimes there's simply going to be derision, mocking, laughing, telling you cannot, you can't believe that. You don't really believe that. And we have to say, yes, I do. Yes, I actually do believe that. And then the last thing to notice is faith is strengthened by hearing the voice of Jesus. Again, picture probably about the lowest moment I've got to imagine for Jairus in this entire thing is when the people come back and they, even as he looked up and saw them, he probably didn't think, "Oh, I bet they're coming with good news." Why does he think those servants are coming? This is bad, and and he's probably crumbling. And then they are tell him, "Your worst fear has been realized. Your daughter has died." And his faith is faltering, but what revives his faith? He hears Jesus. As, as important as it's been that he's heard of miracles in the past, as important as it's been that he just heard the testimony of the woman who had the bleeding for 12 years, what's the only thing sustains your faith when you just hear about the death of your daughter? You better hear from Jesus right then yourself. You can't hear from somebody else. You can't hear what's going on in somebody else. It is hearing Jesus himself. So faith's not built by ignoring or denying circumstances, but choosing instead that what I'm going to hear is I'm going to hear the voice of Jesus. I hear the circumstances shouting. I see it all around me, but I am dialing in to the voice of Jesus to make sure that I hear him. And so Jairus has to choose. Do I listen to the messengers who tell me don't bother Jesus anymore or do I listen to Jesus? Because I can't listen to both. One or the other. And he chose to hear Jesus. And so faith is going to be nourished as you and I choose, choose every day to focus on the voice of Jesus rather than the voice of doubters. Have any of y'all noticed, y'all probably haven't seen this, but there's a lot of people that, that glory right now in doubting the Christian faith out in our culture. Have any of y'all seen that a little bit? You know, ex-evangelicals, people that like to mock the Christian faith. You okay, need to be aware, it's there. And look, I'd be glad to interact with people and to work through their pain, but here's what I'm not gonna do. I'm not gonna hear your voice. I'm gonna dial into Jesus' voice. Because I know he is true. And if what you're doing is saying he's not, I know you're wrong. At the end of the day, it is really that simple. And so we have to choose to do that. And I want you to think about it. If I can use a metaphor uh, for the young people in here, there's a thing that used to be called radio that you would dial into, right? And how many different voices are out there on the radio dial? hundreds of them right how do i how do i determine which one i'm listening to i mean you you dial in in fact you know in the old days we had the preset buttons remember that boy i'm really showing my age here you where you could do you still well i mean mine does i guess i guess it does but i don't listen to the radio so but you can you know you press the button and you, you dial in we have to have a preset to dial in and say, you know what, there's all kinds of stuff out there on the radio dial, but all of my presets are set to Jesus. I'm dialing into him. I need to hear from him. Because the reality is, as you're driving down the road, you're gonna hear all the other voices. They are everywhere. Am I dialed in? Am I clearly saying, I've gotta hear from you? I remember a few years ago, um, 2017 was a particularly tough year uh, for me, and I was struggling. And I had a bunch of pastor friends that were even asking me as we were leading this prayer group, and they were like, hey, man, how are you doing? How are things going? And I said, well, the bad news was this morning I woke up, and I was sure that I had been thrown off of the ship out in the middle of a storm in the North Atlantic, and I was drowning The good news was I washed up on a buoy that said Jesus, and I've been clinging to it all morning, and now it's noon, and I'm feeling okay. (laughs) Ask me tomorrow, yeah, I was on a ship, and I was just thrown over the store. It was every day. I mean, it was day by day by day. Am I going to listen to Jesus, or am I going to listen to my fears Am I going to listen to what other things are telling me? Am I going to listen to circumstances? And it was every day. And the good news is, I can tell you, he was faithful. He was good and he was true. So I've got all these up here, and as we're applying the Word, I want you to look at those and ask yourself, as Iris, which of those is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and saying, this is where I think I might be struggling. Is it that I'm not coming humbly? Pride is an ever-present affliction for us. Is it that I just don't want to endure? I thought if I believed everything was going to get better by tomorrow, and now I've discovered that it's not. Is it that I'm giving in to fear? Or is it that I'm just not dialing in and hearing Jesus every day. I'm hearing all the things that are gonna stoke pride, that are going to wear me down, that are going to encourage fear, but I'm not dialing in and listening to him. Which of those things would it be? What we're gonna be doing in just a moment is we're gonna come down to uh, the table. But I wanna remind us as we do this why this is so important why it's critical that we dial in, why it's critical that we sustain faith. See, Jesus is the Lord over death, but because he's the Lord over death, he's also the Lord over life. He is the Lord who rules all of our days, the beginning and the end of our days. And as I said a few minutes ago, see, this world is full of voices that stoke fear and doubt. That, that, that build the wrong things in us. But it's absolutely imperative that we remember who Jesus is. Um, a, a preacher that has had a, a big influence on me and my thought and that uh, I would commend to listening to anything you hear by him was a man named Tim Keller who just died recently. And Keller was famous for saying, if the resurrection is true, then everything's going to be all right. See, that's it, friends. If Jesus can take a little girl by the hand and say, Talitha cum," and she can stand up and walk around, everything's going to be all right. It doesn't matter what else happens. It doesn't matter how long the delays are, whatever struggles there are. It doesn't matter, you know, anything that's going to go on in this world if the resurrection is true, and it is, then everything is going to be okay. That is what our faith clings and holds on to. I was encouraged to read, even as Kelly had had stage four pancreatic cancer, even as he was coming close to death, he just kept saying that, look, life's just, my prospects are all just getting better. I'm going to be with Christ. There is nothing anyone can do to me. But see, when I, when I, you know, walk in fear, when I walk in somebody's, you know, they deride me in the faith and so I respond back the same way, you know what that tells me? That tells me I, I'm, I'm not thinking in resurrection terms. Because if the resurrection's true, it's all gonna come out okay. It really, really is is we serve the lord of life and death because jesus is the lord over death he's the lord over life and we therefore can live with faith hope joy and freedom because everything is going to be all right i don't know what this year is going to hold or next year is going to hold i have no idea but i do know this i know that jesus christ is lord over life and jesus christ is lord over death it's all going to be all right so I want to encourage us, don't listen to the skeptics, the mockers, the fear mongers. Listen to Jesus, and then let's live with full hearted faith and joy. Because we can, if he can do this, he can do anything. Now as we come to the table, we're going to be remembering the life, the death, the resurrection, and the return of Christ And we're actually going to experience the power of his life and death and resurrection here at the table. And in fact, today is Pentecost Sunday, and so we're trusting and we believe that the same Holy Spirit who was poured out on the day of Pentecost all those years ago is poured out and given to us, and we're going to be crying out for him to be poured out upon us fresh and new for us to experience all of this today. Because Resurrection is not something that just happened once long ago. It is the power by which we live our lives every single day. So what we're going to do as we get ready to start, there's an ancient Christian confession. It's very, very simple. And I'm going to say it once or twice, and then we're all going to repeat it together. And this confession is one of the simplest ones we have. It is Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. He died in the past. He is risen right now, and he is going to come again. Okay? So Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. I want us to repeat that a couple of times because, brothers and sisters, that is the faith we profess. We don't just profess faith about a man that was a good teacher and he died a couple thousand years ago and wasn't that tragic. No, Christ has died, but Christ is risen. And the Apostle Paul tells us, if Christ is not risen, we're to be pitied more than all people. But if he is risen, and he is risen, then we have faith, hope, life, and joy. All's going to be okay. Okay? So let's say this a couple of times together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Brothers and sisters, that's the faith. The Apostle Paul tells us if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you believe Christ has died for your sins once and for all, reconciling all the mess you and I have made of life, see he didn't raise that little girl because she was perfect or she was innocent he didn't go help Jairus because of all the good things Jairus had done because he had already healed the woman who had done nothing was an outcast from everyone our faith is that Christ has died for us but that he is risen for us and he's going to come back for us if you believe that you are welcome to come to this table if you don't then please right after the meeting grab me so we can talk And I would like to talk with you about why you should believe and embrace that faith. For what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, it was your pleasure to make all things through your Son, and to shape creation by your Spirit. And it was your pleasure to redeem us through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, and to regenerate, sanctify, and keep us by your Spirit. So as those created in your image and redeemed by your great work to be conformed to the image of your Son... We come now to your table of life to be renewed and strengthened. And Lord, we receive the bread of life in faith, joyfully giving thanks for our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord, you created all things by your powerful word but redemption required that you shed your blood in our place. So we give you thanks that you did not shrink back from this terrible cost, but willingly died in our place so that we might be forgiven forever. Lord, we receive the cup of life in faith, joyfully giving thanks to you, our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. And let's stand together. And as I mentioned, it is Pentecost Sunday. And so we're going to cry out and ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us in power. Because a philosophy doesn't raise a little girl from the dead. A philosophy won't empower you and I to live for God, nor will it raise us from the dead on the final day. But God's powerful Holy Spirit can do all of those things. And so we will cry out to Him together. Holy Spirit, you hovered upon the unformed, unproductive creation, brooding over it and nurturing it so that it might be formed and filled to the glory of God. So too you hovered over us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and you powerfully regenerated us, raising us to life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Spirit of God, on the day of Pentecost, you were poured out in power upon the church, forming and filling her with life and power so that she might bear fruit for our God. And so, Lord, on this Pentecost morning, we cry out to you, come down upon us in power again. Lord, form us uh, into the beautiful image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit of God, fill us anew with your power so that we might bear fruit that is pleasing to our Father. Spirit of the Lord, inspire and sustain our faith. Fill us with hope, joy, and peace so that we might live without fear in this fearful, hopeless age. And Spirit of God, as you came upon the early church and sent them forth in mission, we ask now that you would send us forth in mission and you would use our simple words and acts to draw others to our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord over life and over death. We ask this in His name, and God's people say, Amen. 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 Now, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened, so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. May you experience his incomparably great power for everyone who believes. The same power which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and when he seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and all authority and all power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but even in the one to come. Brothers and sisters, this is the spirit given to you in Jesus Christ. You are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.